Welcome to the Urbanus podcast, guys. I am the host, Donatos Urbanus. I am joined by Augustas Shulauskas. I almost said Augustas Vishnauskas. Unfortunately, due to some serious personal reasons, we won't have Fritis. But we hope uh, to have him uh, the following week, where we have another EuroLeague preview episode. This episode will be also dedicated for the upcoming EuroLeague season. But we will try to look at this new season from the individual's standpoint. The mm -hmm. next week, we will focus more on teams. We will do the power ranking uh, to spark some 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 love and some hate toward the podcast and the hosts of the podcast. Power rankings always... Can't can really wait for, for that episode. Yeah, you cannot go right with power rankings. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. if you can get all 18 teams right in, in the spots where they will be after nine months of the season... I don't know, you should be probably betting every every day of your life or doing something like that. Yeah, so we have like six, seven, eight questions entering the new season. But before, mm. we will start from one of the biggest transfers that we had in the recent weeks. Ignaz Brasdekis uh, from Zalgiris going to Olympiakos. Crazy trip uh, to Cyprus, right? He went to Cyprus for Jalgiris to prepare for the season, and basically he almost <laughs> ended up taking the flight just not to Kaunas, but to Athens. Uh, there was also a Jalgiris in social media post, I think on Twitter, mm. maybe also on Instagram, made on Friday, where uh, you can see a short video where Shaq McKissick is talking to Ignas Brasdekis. Uh, both are representing, you know, their teams on Friday jerseys, uh, Ignas with Jalgiris jersey, Shaq with Olymp Olympiakos jersey, and uh, the caption was just small talk before the game. And uh, 24 hours later, that post was like, okay, you know, uh, now maybe it wasn't a small talk after all. I, I don't imagine these two guys talking about the weather in Cyprus when... when, when um, I wonder if Jalgiris' social media team we're aware that something is happening. Because of course, I mean, Iggy, McKissick, Jalgiris people, they knew that, you know, there are negotiations because they took some time already. Obviously like, these, these things doesn't happen in two hours on Saturday, you know, they, it has yeah. to be a lot of backstory to this. We, we, we know things a little bit later with, with some time delay. So I'm not sure it was, you know, social media meant to do something like this, but, but uh, it, it, it ended up in a funny, funny post. Yeah, so Brasdekis signed a three-year deal with Olympiakos. Uh, Jargiris also received the buyout, and there were already some reports. And from I can confirm from my sources that the buyout is around 500,000 euros. So it's a pretty significant buyout for, for Jargiris. And especially uh, taking into consideration that Brasdekis' salary was around 750 for this season, it means like, you know, in, in theoretical salary cap of Jalgiris, we have like 1.2, 1.3 million, but let's share our reactions. What do we think about this move for all sides? Um, probably let's look first from Olympiakos' side, I think, uh, because they signed a new player. They did not lose the player like Jalgiris did. Uh, it wasn't expected for me for me uh, that they signed Brasdeikis. Mm, my first reaction was it kind of says how that Olympiacos were a little bit desperate, I think, in my eyes, to make a signing before the season, to buy out a player like Brasdeikis. 
But it also says, I think, how thin the market was, how a lot of NBA guys right now, you know, if, we, if you don't sign, if you are an NBA guy, if you don't sign until the end of September, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to go into the training camp, then I'm going to wait, see what happens. And then maybe at the end of the October, if I don't get the deal, then I look into my options to explore in Europe or, you know, during the Christmas. So uh, Olympiacos were put in a tough spot to where you, they would probably prefer some NBA guys to, to join their team, but there are not a lot of options to do it. And Brazdeikis is the kind of guy, you know, similar to what Keenan Evans was coming to Jalgiris last year. He's a, he was a Euro, EuroLeague rookie. Uh, you expect Brazdeikis and you expected Evans to make a jump in the second season of the EuroLeague. Players usually do that. We saw his progress towards the second part of the season. So um, I think uh, it, was, it, it was unexpected for me. But I believe that Olympiacos really are betting on Brasdakis' future, on Brasdakis' process. So uh, it, it's a really interesting move. I think in in an ideal scenario, they would have signed a you know even more talented player because I think they had the money, but there were simply no options to do that. So I saw some tweets in in in, in Greece that they were confused with which position Brzezik is, is going to play. Uh, some were even saying he's a three, three slash four. He is not a power forward. I, I mean, can't, can't imagine Brzezik is playing a four. I'm not surprised by these discussions because I remember that even the Lithuanian coaching staff had doubts and they weren't sure if he's like more of a three or four player or vice versa. So... Uh, I, I received some replies that saying saying you know in the university in the in college he was playing some minutes at the four but come on guys like like college and Euroleague level are two different things he is physical enough you know he is super strong he has a, a great body for for wing for wing position but I, I don't I don't imagine him guarding for for example Gershon Yebuzele. It has to be a super, super favorable matchup for him to play the four position and to be good on defense and to be good on offense. So I think he is going to play two and three, you know, like he did. Uh, he had the same coach in the Lithuanian national team and in Jalgiris because he's Maksvidis was coaching him in both teams and he was playing him as a three in the Lithuanian national team because of the team structure and he was playing Ignas as a two in Jalgiris, where, you know, the free, the free position was co covered by Ulanovas and Arnas Butkevichus. So I think he's going to do the same depending on the lineup he's thrown in by Bartsakas. He's going to be either a two or three, but it doesn't really matter in nowadays basketball. So what was your first uh, initial thoughts uh, about this deal? Since I'm Lithuanian, I looked, first of all, I want to look at it from Jalgiris' perspective. And I really believe that both for Jalgiris and Brasdekis, this is a win-win situation. I agree. Because, I mean, it's not a secret, uh, especially during the last season, but Dakis didn't really get uh, along with Coach Maxvitas. I mean, they had a hard time understanding each other, I would say, and finding the best chemistry. I'm not saying that their relationships were, you know, ruined, everything was wrong, and there was a constant conflict. No, it was just a um, difference of basketball understanding, I would say, of basketball approach, because Ignaz Brasdekis, although he is Lithuanian, he's playing for the Lithuanian national team, he was born in Lithuania, but he grew up in, in Canada, uh, yep. and he has a different mentality. He has a Canadian player mentality, and the approach that he had coming to Europe was was way different from, from all the Europeans that you know. So, 
Coach Maxitis was different. He tried to teach him the European way, both on Lithuania national team and in Jalgiris. And it wasn't an easy process. And I remember uh, from what I heard during this offseason, there was this plus uh, option for the following year. Uh, and Brasdekis was, I wouldn't call it desperately, but very actively looking for ways out to, to go to another EuroLeague team. And the deal, he couldn't find any deal. Uh, it's all good, okay. <laughs> But it went good uh, for for Brasdekis because he's joining first spot after the break, guys. One of the yearly title contenders. He's switching Konas Winter to Athens. He will be probably the first perimeter ice option for Yorgos Bartsokas, and he's going to Olympiakos after experiencing rookie season in Jalgiris, which was not easy for Jalgiris. I mentioned the numbers. I mean, they're getting a solid. Uh, money and also I mean from what I, I heard from what we see so far they were really happy with Keenan Evans with Nazmitra Long they have a they have depth in their backcourt and they will have time to understand what kind of player they really need so it's not like Olympiakos to Keenan Evans from the team which was poised to be you know the number one guy yeah. he had the amazing season last year and you know it would be a huge loss for Jalgiris, they had this, you know, luxury to lose him, but not to feel, I would say, like losers of the situation. I think we'll get back to what Brasdekis will give to Olympiakos and all that stuff. But I think looking from Jalgiris' perspective, I absolutely agree to your point. I don't think it's a huge loss. I mean, I don't think Ignas even did one practice with them this preseason. He was out with Lithuania national team. He got, you know, a minor knee injury. To start, uh, I'm I'm not sure if he did some practices or not, but that doesn't change my point that he was not there during this preseason. And Jalgiris, if we compare the last preseason and this preseason, let's say start of the season, now even with the loss of Ignas, they have more talent offensively than they did last year, and they have more talent offensively than they had at the end of the season when Ignas was like the number one guy. You know, they had Polnara, Isaiah Taylor, and and all those guys. I think right now with Evans back, with Nas Mitrelong back, not back, but signed, with Brady Manick, who is a fantastic offensive player and gives, and you know, these two new signings plus Evans back give Jalgiris so much flexibility in offense and they don't really, I don't think they will have as many problems as they did last year offensively. So to start last season, Ignas was just adjusting to... Euroleague game and, and and all those stuff and all that stuff he doesn't have he didn't have great games so where I'm going with this is that Jalgris don't really need to be in a rush right now I think to sign a new player because uh, of all the things I mentioned before and uh, they could even like there are not many good options in the market I think right now so they could start the season be okay and then just look uh, where we have a pain point and maybe you know some players are starting to uh, drop from NBA training camps and, and stuff like that, and they could sign a player later. So this this is why I think it's not a huge loss right now for Jalgiris. What Ignas will bring to Olympiakos is probably a bigger question our Greek fans want to know the answer to. I mean, he was basically posting up bigger, posting up smaller guards last year for Jalgiris playing iso ball. Uh, he was the main ISO weapon in, in the playoffs, you know, with Keenan Evans out. Uh, and the entire second half of the season, 
an entire second half of the season, right? And um, he was improving. I think that his one of the biggest problems was decision making on court to start to start a Euroleague season. I think he improved a lot uh, to finish the season. So you could you could even uh, expect better things from him in the in the second year. Uh, my one question mark would be how would he fit in in this team basketball picture of Olympia Kos? I'm really interested to see where Bartsakas will put him, whether in a starting lineup, or, although I'm, I wouldn't be really high on this because he he wasn't there for the preseason. He's completely new. Uh, is he taking a spot from Isaiah Kanan? I wouldn't be so sure. And so, it's not like uh, starting off the bench is a bad thing as Olympiakos. I mean, exactly. Lucas was starting off the bench exactly. and you know, he was the main scorer. So it doesn't basically doesn't mean anything. Right, so... Uh, but yeah, it will be interesting to see how his one-on-one -on -one skills uh, adapt to Olympiakos' uh, style of basketball. But it was obviously a need for for the Greeks to address this issue because uh, let's let's be honest, they did not have really a great isolation player on this roster if if the team is is switching. So to have Brasdakis be a threat on the perimeter. To create some advantages, to trigger some, you know, help rotations is is a really nice thing to have, and they address their issue. Although I'm not sure if that solves all Olympia cost problems. You mentioned the uh, improvement during the season, and in the first half of the season, in the first 17 games of the Euroleague season, he was averaging 10 points on. 17% three-point shooting. I remember that. In the second that. part of the season, his average increased by almost two points, 12 and 12.6. And from three, he was making over 40% of three-pointers. 40, 41. 40. Okay. Before the playoffs. So, so he made a huge improvement in a shot selection and decision-making. And... I mean, if I'm an Olympiakos fan, to go from Mike James, from Kendrick Nunn to Ignaz Brzezakis, probably I would feel really disappointed. But as you mentioned, the market dictated things. Not sure. I'm not sure if Olympiakos had to force the signing, unless Bartzokas really loved uh, what he saw in Brzezakis' game during the last year or even during the World Cup. Because for the reasons you mentioned why Jalgris shouldn't be in a rush, I mean, Olympiakos is also very loaded in the backcourt. So they could have easily waited for some, let's say, bigger name opportunities or whatever. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of Brasdeikis last year in Jalgris because of mm. the reasons we mentioned. Uh, although you have to take into consideration that he also had a tough first half of the season, not just because he was coming from the NBA environment with this different mentality. He was also coming off the Eurobasket experience. Uh, you know, he spent the entire summer with the Lithuanian national team. There was the Eurobasket and he went straight into the, the season, with, you know, not having any clue about the competition he's playing, not having a preseason pre with his teammates. So he needed a lot of time to adjust. So now with all this experience, in his bag, he should be better. Uh, last year, he looked really raw. I think he will be more matured, and this first season experience really has a you know big fact is is a factor. Uh, and although I would say that I I didn't like I, I, for me he was not he was I would say inefficient scorer for Jalgiris team, but at the same time I think that. We as Lithuanians who saw him, you know, every week, every game, maybe we were a little bit too strict 
on Brasdakis because when you look at you know at his numbers, at his season and his pro- uh, progress, he was averaging eleven point six points per game uh, throughout the whole year, and is actually the fourth best uh, average among the Euroleague rookies. And only Brasdakis was only behind Marcus Howard, Jonathan Motley, and Darius Thompson. We're talking about the elite players. Brasdakis was top three in the EuroLeague among guards with the most contested field goals per game and the best percentage. So, you know, he was taking a lot of tough shots, but he's capable of making those shots with a better shot selection, with better movement in the Olympiacos, which might, you know, make him more opportunities to score or to be even uh, more efficient. With Bartzokas magic, Let's not underestimate, you know, what kind of players also emerged as a star players like Sasha Vezenkov playing for Barsokas. I mean, uh, he might have a good experience over mm. there in Paris. Although my first initial reaction was, I, I was really skeptical. Uh, I didn't believe in Brasdeikis as, you know, as uh, as an upgrade for Olympiakos. I mean, we're talking about, about the title contenders. We are talking about the team which had a le- legit shot to win the EuroLeague which lost Kostas Lukas and Sasha Vezenkov. Uh, so I was really critical about this move, but I see some sense. Uh, although I still believe that Olympiagos is a team of very good players, solid players, but they're lacking of, you know, uh, of game changers, mm-hmm. of, of stars who make a difference when it matters, like Lukas, game winner, Sasha Vezenkov, MVP game, you know. I love additions, as individuals of Luke Sigma, uh, I believe that Alec Peters might uh, step up. I like that mm, what Brzezdakis can offer if he if he will improve. But when I look at them, I mean, yeah. I don't know how they are going to stay in in the elite. I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure if their final mm. four material with this roster that they have. Uh, I know what. Some Greek fans who, um, will respond to your this, these comments that you know they lack top talent. Although I agree with you, you know I even wrote a tweet saying basically the same thing that they have probably the deepest roster. They have lo- loads of talent combined in the team. Uh, probably maybe Real Madrid has a deeper roster than they do, but Olympiacos is right there. But they lack that top top talent. And you know gr- Greek people and Olympiacos fans will respond that. They have team basketball. They don't need top top talent, but at the write. same time, I'm not sure if they write. They uh, write to they some have, extent. Yeah, they write to some extent. But looking at the last Euroleague champions, you know, that it was Sergio Yui heroics, and you know, you can't say he's an aging veteran. You know, in those moments when it counted the most, he played like a superstar. He was back in the day. You know, FS had Basa Mitic, Shane Larkin, two of the best guards that in their Euroleague in the top in the in the last years. Um, even before champions had Nando De Colo, uh, there, there was always a guard there making decisive plays, making big plays. If the game is tied, who is going to make that play for Olympia Cost? Who is going to win them the game, the close games? Like we had the same uh, question last season, but they had Costas Lucas, who is you know famous for making those uh, clutch plays, and and he missed that tough shot uh, last year, but. You know, is Ignas Brzezdek is going to be that guy to put Olympiakos over the top? Is is Nigel Williams Goss the guy to to make a, I don't know, a fadeaway jumper? You know, this this is the question I have for Olympiakos, and we are talking, we are making th- these questions because we think Olympiakos's goal 
is to win the Euroleague, not to be in the final four every year. The goal is to win. So the standard is here yeah. is really really high from us to Olympiacos. So uh, this this is my question, and uh, yeah, I think we probably covered all the all the parts here, uh, both Olympiacos and Jalgiris. Yeah, just just for Jalgiris side, talking about this uh, replacement, you know, at one point when you just look at the numbers, it feels like oh Jalgiris can afford like a player up to one point two million something that never happened in Jalgiris history and it has to it could be an elite upgrade for Jalgiris team but if Olympiakos actually went from Mike James and some other NBA options to buying out Ignas Brasdekis I mean with all the respect to Ignas Brasdekis but it means that the market is really not that attractive for for the elite talent it's September 25th so who the are you going to sign the best players are signed exactly yep. and some others left they have very different priorities and for instance uh, Kendrick Nunn, from what I heard, his sal his demanded salary is, is way bigger from what can Jalgiris actually offer. And then when you think about some other factors like why he should go to Kaunas if he refused to go to Olympiacos. Of course, he, he, he needs some time to wait for his NBA opportunities, but at the same time, I mean, to go from Athens to Kaunas, it's not the destination you're excited about if you are the NBA player looking for the first time EuroLeague experience. And it goes not just for with Kendrick Nunn, but with some other potential uh, mm. uh, players coming uh, from the NBA. There were names like, I think, Terrence Davis, uh, mentioned and from mm. what I heard, his you know his demanded salary is is even bigger from what Kendrick Nunn is expecting in the market. Uh, there were names like Corey Higgins, which I think kind of again to some extent checks all the boxes. I mean, I love him as a player. He's a gr he could he would be a great veteran for Jalgiris. He would be a great scorer uh, for Jalgiris. Amazing addition for an organization like Jalgiris, but at the same time, he's not healthy. Uh, and from what I heard, it might take him even more than one month to get back into playing in EuroLeague uh, mm. or just to be ready to play in EuroLeague games. And it would probably, it means that probably it would take even more time to get him in, for him to get in shape. And then again, you never know if he will if he will get injured again. I mean, his last two seasons at Barca were terrible injury-wise. So if you're Jalgiris, if you're going to spend a lot for this position, can you afford taking those risks? I'm not sure. So a lot of questions, a lot of uh, doubts. And if I was Jalgiris, I wouldn't rush this decision. Absolutely. Who knows? I mean, from what I heard, they still the initial idea is to find somebody who could replace Brasdekis, let's say, position to position. Uh, probably they're looking for a player who could... Okay, Keenan Evans, maybe he prefers uh, taking step-back trees or outside shots, and maybe they're looking for a slasher, a player who can drive like Brasdekis did, who can score through the contact, who can initiate some fouls and get to the free throw line. Maybe that's their idea, and I get it. He would be a different tool on this already nice and solid uh, backward, but at the same time, you know, I would I would take some time. And there might be some uh, NBA training camp uh, dropouts, so there might be way more options uh, in a few weeks uh, going into the NBA and Euroleague season. But we'll see, because I'm hearing uh, different things, and Jalgiris might surprise. We all remember how fast they took the, those decisions with Isaiah Taylor, Akila Polonara. Of course, the situation mm -hmm. was way different. We needed some 
uh, they just basically lacked of personnel in, in, in some crucial positions. Now the situation is a little bit different, but it'll be interesting to see who are they going to sign. But again, I still think that they're in a good situation. For Olympiacos, the standard is, is way different. Although we have to understand that Olympiacos is not, is not Real Madrid, it's not Fenerbahce, it's not Barcelona. Even though they have money because of Vezenkov buyout, his, his former salary and stuff, it's not like they can buy anybody they want. So it's not easy to navigate in, in, in this market. But yeah, you expect players who can not, okay, maybe not to improve their chances to win the title because they were already in the best position to be in as Olympiacos club, but at least to stay in the conversation, stay mm -hmm. in the title conversation. And that's, it's, it's not going to be easy, I think. My last note would be about Jalgeris. Uh, what's Ife Lundberg's situation? Mm, that's a good question. From what I remember reading some articles that Virtus... If Virtus finds a new team for him, then they're letting him go, something like that? That was the initial goal, but now I think the situation have changed and they're mm. preferred to keep him, probably. Okay. But I'm not sure. Okay, anyway, uh, if, if they don't find an option from outside of the EuroLeague, um, I think, you know, what if they could sign, you know, what if they wait and then they maybe try? There's a lot of, you know, players, new guys, EuroLeague rookies in these, Asvel, Alba. What if, what if these guys perform well and maybe you sign them later? But you have to, uh, you have to according to EuroLeague rules, you cannot play them in the first half of the season if you sign mm -hmm. anybody from the other EuroLeague team. And okay. if he has appeared in a single game in the EuroLeague, uh, they can transfer, they can be registered for the EuroLeague only for the second half of the season. Mm, okay, yes. So it's also yeah, a yeah, tricky yeah. thing, actually. Okay. And even in Ife Lundberg's case, I mean, if you really want him, you have to find a solution in like in two weeks mm. because they're playing the first game in, in okay. two weeks. There are some guys playing in the lower level that would be nice additions but but you know there's always a buyout situation the season already started so yeah i think i think let's go let's move our to our topics we have talked about pretty much everything yeah here. just just my really very last note would be that although i mentioned all those names that olympiakos were after i think that jalgiri situation is different you can actually go for up and coming player you can go for a rising player, for for a player who hasn't played in the Euroleague. He, Olympiacos, they needed, you know, a solid player. Maybe that's why Bartzokas also chose a player with the Euroleague experience. Jargris can be a little bit more creative because they don't have that Final Four standard. Okay, they're in, in the dream case, uh, Final Four would be great. And with all the pieces they, they kept for the upcoming season, who knows, maybe they have at least this silent hope you know, in their minds, but they can be more creative finding new gems, you know, new new talents, thinking out of the box. So mm. that what kind of can make this decision more interesting than Olympiakos choice, because they mm. were a little bit limited in terms of what they were looking for. Yeah. So yeah, we have uh, six, seven topics to preview the upcoming EuroLeague season, more from the individual's perspective. Mm -hmm. We will go through different topics, statements, questions that will touch GMs, off-season moves, coaches, uh, some other things. Uh, and we'll start from... from Worst uh, contract? 
from the best and worst contracts of this EuroLeague offseason. I actually wanted to start it from the worst contracts contract because you know it's something that shocks. You know, it's it's there. There's no need for some nice sweet intros. Let's go with 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 losers. Let's, let's no no intros. Yeah, no intros. <laughs> let's just start bashing teams. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's easy. Um, do how many options you have? Yeah, for the worst down. contract? For the worst contract. I'm interested to hear. Uh, not that many, to be Not honest. that many? Yeah. I mean, I'm just so mad at one organization that probably I, w- I overlooked some other bad moves. Barcelona. That other teams did. Barcelona, right? Yeah. Let's, let me start. Let me, okay. <laughs> okay. Let me start then. Uh, so my options, of course, I did not understood a lot, you know, changing Nikola Mirotic with Jabari Parker. Uh, th- that's a risk, super risky move. Although taking Jabari and pairing him up with Roger Grimau makes sense because uh, he is an you know free coach that lets you express him, that lets you express yourself in the court, free offense that fits Jabari well. So maybe this thing will work out. But I didn't understand this this signing. I thought signing really Hernan Gomez when you have. Jan Vesely there is also a little bit weird. I thought Zvezda signing like 18 forwards uh, and centers is, was also, you know, w- where is the balance here? You could have probably went for two better quality players than signing six or seven, uh, you know, forwards more or less at, at the same talent level. Um, Williams Goss, he had a fantastic uh, season finale for Real Madrid. He played fantastic in the playoffs, but... I'm not sure here as well. I thought Olympiacos could have went for a higher profile, you know, to replace Costas Lucas, in, in not trying to replace him with mm. three players, you know, or, this or two guys. This death thing is interesting. Yeah, you this, know. this death thing is interesting, but I'm not sure it will work out. But my worst, I this these were my picks here. Yeah. Uh, my other options, honorable mentions, but my pick is Achille Polonara uh, okay. signing with Virtus. Okay, I, I don't know. I'm not sure this guy's Euroleague level. Let's say uh-huh. uh, he did not um, convince me playing for Jalgiris last year. Okay, uh, he wasn't good. He wasn't that good when playing for Istanbul teams, and uh, you know he missed all his three pointers in the World Cup for Italy. He is a target on the, on the defense for any team, and it was really weird to seeing him sign with uh, in the Euroleague. I really thought he's going to to Euro Cup, you know, to, to a lower level, be be a more important player there, and uh, probably were to sign him because they need Italian guys because they don't have many Italian players. But it's just it's still I I was I was surprised seeing Aquila Polonara remaining on, well, on the Euroleague. I'm Euro surprised level. by your pick, really. I think that you're just too harsh on Polonara. Too harsh. I mean, Italian team signing no, Italian I said, player. I said it makes si- it makes sense for them. Big to sign experience. But I mean, will he help? Will he help them? I'm not looking. It's logical to sign an Italian player for an Italian team, but will Aquila help them? I don't know. I mean, Did he help? Italy? It depends on what kind of expectations they have for him. But let's say, can you name? Better stretch for options coming of Italy for Virtus. I mean, 
Because is, is I, this kid really stretching the floor, missing zero zero for twenty? Okay, that was a, one really bad tournament for Planara, but probably yes. we can all agree that he can stretch the floor as a four man. And again, he's let a me, talent let player. Me, let me because check his percentages. If, if you're if you're you know killing Virtus uh, for this signing, any other Italian could say things about Lithuanian players of Zagreb, some Serbian players of Cervena Zvezda or or Partizan or whatever team. I think that's you know, local teams signing local players. They have different standards for these signings. You mean lower standards? L lower standards. Yeah, it's it's fair to admit it. Okay. I mean because, okay, I don't want to be disrespectful to some players, so I won't mention those names. But in every team, you could find local players who wouldn't make it in any other Euroleague team. And Polonara. Okay, I wasn't a fan of Polonara last year and Jargiris for sure, but he, he doesn't look like the worst option for the Italian team. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I, I'm surprised, really. Go wow. go with your You're choice. You're so harsh then. for Polonara. Go with your choice. He didn't have many fans in Lithuania, but wow. You're hard. You're difficult. I'll go with your choice then. Uh, my choice is easy. I mean, Barcelona, you already mentioned, I wouldn't call it one bad contract, just a lot of bad agreements, starting from uh, Nikola Mirotic. God knows, you know, how this whole situation will end up. Probably there's still this option that Barcelona will have to pay the full salary to Mirotic. So they're paying a lot of money, millions for a player who's playing on a uh, different team. The same goes with Corey Higgins. You say that you save money and you sign Para and uh, Brizuela. Uh, spending two millions for the buyouts only. I'm not even talking their uh, salaries. If you combine all these money that they were thrown on these two signings, and also even in the best case scenario, if they won't have to cover the full salaries of Mirotic and Higgins, probably teams like Bayern and Jargres could build a roster for one season from all these money that they were spent and I would say wasted. So I just don't get it. I mean, uh, I think that that's an interesting follow-up for the local players topic. I think that uh, you you have to be smart in spending money for locals. You cannot overspend. You cannot waste your money on locals. And an organization like Barca, which has youth academy, youth players, I would rather go with implementing, especially when you have the youth coach, Roger Grimao, mm -hmm. coming to the team. I would rather have, you know, couple of 18, 19 year old players implemented into the roster and giving them some opportunities. It's not like they didn't have any you know, local talent. I'm not sure about James Nagy's status, but I think that he's treated as a Spanish player because he spent there uh, a lot of years. There's Sergi Mar Sergi Martinez. Uh, I don't have Barca roster in the paper, but I mean, you have Youth Academy, Billy Hernan Gomez joined the team. I mean, it's not like, it's not Basconia. They don't have Spanish players. They have different approach. But it's not like you have to spend two millions only for buyouts. It's crazy. Mm. It's a waste of money. And I don't care that. I mean, it's it's a I don't know. It's a criminal criminal activity in the face of uh, other Euroleague teams. You know what else is criminal activity? Yeah, choosing a team for one worst contract when you when you said explicitly choose one player. <sighs> that's criminal as well. I mean, well. Uh, you can go with uh, any contract you want. Uh, para Brazuela, you know. Doesn't matter. 
maybe we as an outsiders, we don't really get how things work in some markets and maybe market was really thin for Barca in terms of signing some local players. But for instance, we all remember Real Madrid, they also spend a lot of money for some buyouts, uh, like Abalde, there was somebody else and they were spending over 1 million. But again, I mean, I would understand if they spend 1 million for Juan Nunez. I mean, for the top, top, top prospects, Brazil is 28. I mean, okay, Para is, is younger, but still, I mean, do you really spend so much money for players of their level? I mean, instead, spend those uh, spend this amount of money for the youth academy, you know, mm. to get some players, to get some dividends in, in the upcoming uh, upcoming years. I, I I don't get it really. It was definitely a strange off season in in Barcelona, and yeah. I I agree to your points that you know them spending so much money on buyouts after having to pay Mirotic is is, is one yeah. crazy off season. Yeah. Um. So. On the other hand. Best okay. contract of the season. Oh yeah, let's you, be more positive. You go first here. Uh, actually, I'm not go going too far uh, from Spain. For the best contract of the off season, I picked Facundo Campasso because yeah, you went the easy way. Yeah, uh, <laughs> because I'm Real Madrid. I just won the Euroleague. I kept the entire core. I mean, that's that's rare. I think that they kept their seven top players by efficiency. Uh, for mm. the next season, for this season. And I couldn't find anything similar to that uh, going through some other teams. Fenerbahce, I think Maccabi, they had some cases, but still, Real Madrid, this number is exceptional. And you're adding a game changer, one of the elite point guards in the market, Facundo yeah. Campasso, who already played in your team with a lot of these core players. And he's also... It's not like it's not just like he will make Eddie Tavares even better player. Although he was already elite uh, last season, especially in the playoffs in the final four. But from what I heard, he's also coming on a very good, I would say, team friendly terms. There's this still this NBA buyout thing, you know, that he had to pay like six million euros or something. That's crazy. And man. from what I heard, he's still paying that buyout. And from what I heard and I understood. Probably it will take him another season and a half to cover that buyout. And he signed for four years in Real Madrid. So basically, you know, Real Madrid, they were going to pay him like for 2.5 seasons or almost three seasons, wow. not for four years. I mean, that that's a good deal. That, uh, that NBA them. dream cost him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, although now it looks like a very bad financial decision, at the same time, you know... By who? Uh, by Campasso. By Campasso. Yeah. Uh, to take this risk. And now we see that, you know, it didn't pay off. But at the same time, huge respect for a player who had a dream, who tried, who uh, he won't have any regrets that I had this chance and no. I didn't take it. Mm. And okay, uh, it didn't pay off, but he's returning. He He's going to play at the elite level. He will still get paid quite, you know, enough. And he will be fine. Uh, and he's coming to an elite organization. So uh, not just because you're adding a top talent to this already very talented group, but you're signing him on a very solid uh, terms. And that's a good question. I should make a bigger research, but I'm not sure who who is more expensive for Real Madrid for the upcoming year, Facundo Campasso or, or Para or Brizuela. That's a good question. 
That's also an interesting situation to compare Real Madrid's offseason and Barcelona's offseason. You know, one team had a super calm summer where, you know, they get got rid of some of the contracts, they shortened their depth, maybe avoiding some conflicts in the locker room for playing time during the year. And they added the point guard that was perfect in their team. You know, he knows everything and they know he fits in absolutely well. So amazing ads, you know, that's definitely, you know, it's easy to pick him as the best contract. I also had him in my list to, to choose from like the best contracts, but I tried to go uh, a little bit other way because I yeah. thought maybe, maybe you're going to go with Campazzo. I thought my top two were, uh, I thought FS did an amazing job switching uh, Vasilya Mitic, one of the best players in the EuroLeague, with Darius Thompson. Uh, just looking at their preseason, a couple of games that I saw, uh, he fits in perfectly. I think he's more of a passing type of point guard who can, who can also score at will. And with all, the, all that talent around, with Shane, with Elijah Bryant, with uh, Bobois, with Will Clyburn there, with uh, centers, uh, very very different centers. So he's the perfect point guard there. And I think uh, FS could not have replaced one of the best players in the EuroLeague with a better uh, fit here. The only problem I have with this one, since it's the case of the best and worst contracts, I'm not sure if it's, it was the best contract for FS. I mean... Uh, to go that high, he will get paid at least 1.8 million for the next season. To be honest, I cannot recall any other uh, sophomore EuroLeague player who had such a huge leap in his deal and his contract. I think that in Basconia he was paid something around 500,000 euros. So for FS, and they also paid a, a significant buyout, also around half a million. Mm -hmm. So for the next year, Darius Thompson will cost them 2.3, 2.4 million. Okay, that's, so that's huge. I'm not questioning the quality of the player. I'm just saying that, you know, yeah. the best contract, if FS managed to sign him somewhere in the range of 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, that for me, that would make the best contract. Now I'm not so sure. And just just last point to add from my side, I mentioned those names like Brizuela, like Para. I'm not questioning players. I'm not going against players. It's not something against them. It's uh, against the decision-making process by Barca and the money spent on these contracts. Because mm. these contracts, these buyouts, they don't make Para and Brizuela better or worse players. It's just about the whole situation. How do you uh, make decisions from the financial standpoint as, mm. as, the, as the GM, as the front office, as the president or whatever, who spends money on those deals? And yeah, so we you could, you could then say Darius Thompson is the best fit to replace a star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the best contract. It doesn't have anything to do if it's best contract or not. Then I had a similar, like fir first place to, I had Petr Cornelier, I think as one of the best contracts in the summer. I don't know the, the details, the money that Monaco are going to give him, but I think, you know, with this signing, Monaco addressed their biggest need. And I think he was this under the radar, radar guy that uh, could shine in the new role simply because he was not, get, get, you know, you can't play much in the front court with Poirier, Tavares, and Yabuzele and Gabriel Deck sometimes covering the fourth position. So uh, with this new role, uh, I think uh, he's going to be fine. He's, he's going to do great. And that's why, you know, Petr Cornelier and Darius Thompson, my two picks for the best contract of the summer. I just wanted to check Cornelier's stats. 
Cardinal uh, stats was it, was it was like uh, they oh, already they already started the season in, yeah, in France. Yeah. He had 13 points uh, this weekend in a win against Chalon Saon. Yeah, but Jaite is not playing, so he's. Uh, I saw some friendly games. He's starting at the center yeah. even. Nine rebounds, five offensive rebounds, six offensive rebounds in the first game of the French uh, league. Wow. So in the let's say Euroleague preseason, he averaged ten points on forty-one percent three-point shooting, which is crucial. So yeah, he he checks all the boxes in terms of stretching the floor in the front line and also being a local player helps Monaco a lot. You know, on on both sides, That's let's say. Of the front, both so this this would be this would probably be my number one pick okay. here. Uh, the se second topic we have, let's say we have Euroleague draft. Mm -hmm. All the active Euroleague players are available. Who's your number one pick in this draft? Th this was a hard decision. Okay, this yeah, was a hard decision. Um, but I had to go with the guard. Yep. Guards smart. dominate basketball. I mentioned before, you know, all the teams that won had some top talent here that decided games in the end. Um, and this guy, I think, fits the most boxes from all the options because there are a lot of, a lot of uh, really awesome choices mm -hmm. here. But I'm going with someone taller than a point guard, uh, someone who showed last year in the playoffs how deadly he can be. Um, there is a reason a lot of teams wanted him this summer. Okay, I'm kind of uh, have a feeling. I think I think he's a great team leader. Um, you know, being a captain. Uh, You're already reading my notes, actually. Uh, being a captain in in Serbia is a hard thing. Yeah. Um, it about tells Kolodzic? me something. He, he, huh? You're talking about Lajic? <laughs> no. Who, sorry. No, who's being the an, of, an American uh, captain. Who's the captain? I'm not of sure. This season they changed the whole roster. I don't know who's. Ah, okay. Um, so yeah, so he, he might have some issues defensively. You know. Come on now. No, I'm, I'm just who giving doesn't a have full picture. issues defensively nowadays? If we're talking about scorers in the Euroleague. Uh Keenan Evans. Yeah, that's a good. Pick. That's a good. But quick, quick blitz. Yeah, answer. but it's not easy to find. It's not easy. It's not easy. I'm saying, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm drafting this guy number yeah. one. I'm just giving, you know, the full picture. Sometimes on the scouting report, you, yeah. you can see that, you know, we are trying to attack this guy in off-ball situations. You can't get mad at this, you know. That's what scouting report okay. of other teams say. Okay. And uh, so I'm taking Kevin Punter as my first pick in the Euroleague draft. Uh, okay. uh, if not for that unfortunate situation in, la in last year's quarterfinals. I think we could even be saying more things about him. Uh, the guy is unstoppable in one-on-one. -on -one. The guy is drawing double teams in every pick and roll he's playing at the moment. He, I think he has improved as a passer as well. That helps Partizan a lot. And uh, I would draft Kevin Punter number one in EuroLeague draft. Wow, me too. Really? Me too. I had almost the same quotes. Uh, I mean, you notes. had you had to choose something who was already on your podcast. So yeah, exactly, your list was probably shorter than mine. <laughs> yeah, and I considered all my guests who were on the podcast. But I mean, I also checked all the guards, and there are just few reasons why I took uh, KD of the Euroleague. He's just you know KD of the Euroleague, just a few inches shorter. Uh, I tried to find uh, also statistical argument and background mm. behind my pick. Uh, among the players who played over 14 minutes per game in the EuroLeague last season, Punter had the best offensive rating, according to Instat. 
Uh, he's elite one-on-one player to decide games, which is also uh, backed up by some stats. Among guards who shot the most contested field goals, at least nine per game, he tied for the second best percentage of making those shots. 44, almost 44% of making contested shots. By the way, Ignaz Brasdekis was top three among guards. So that's that's nice. Hey, he's a top shot maker. That's, yeah. that's not news. He's good at it. Uh, Ken Panther also has the best field goal percentage among top scoring guards in the EuroLeague with 47. Uh, he's a great leader. He's been praised for his uh, praised for his great leadership. Uh, American players like him a lot. So since he's my uh, number one pick in the Euroleague draft, it will be easier to get some other stars or pieces around uh, player and personality like um, Kevin Punter. Players want to play with him. Uh, he also proved he can play with any guard, any type of guard. Uh, Sergio Rodriguez, uh, Malcolm Delaney, Dante Exum. You can easily fit, uh, find a fit uh, next to Kevin Punter. He's relatively young, although he turned 30. I mean, because this is also important if you consider your mm. number one pick. You you want something to have at least for upon him two, three, or four years, right? So uh, this summer he turned 30, and uh, if you check the elite EuroLeague scorers, because I was I was also going only through the backward players. 30 is, let's say, new young in EuroLeague because Will Clyburn, 33. Mike James, 33. Lorenzo Brown, 33. Costas Lucas, 33. That's some elite 33 club. Nando DeColo, 36. Shane Larkin turns 31 next week. Uh, okay, there are some, let's say, younger stars like Way Baldwin, 27. Darius Thompson is 28. Janan Musa, 24. But still, Kevin Punter has at least two, three elite years left in the year league so i mean i'm not even going to mention his individual skill and, and stuff like that but he for me he he stood out as the best pick for the uh if i would build uh if i would bid, build the year league organization mm. so yeah well, i was i was kind of thinking we, we will get the same guy here i mean you were choosing from mike shane and kevin so I'm not exactly going to comment on this <laughs> that's your opinion but yeah i'm kevin joking, I'm joking. The best. um but you know, best player, mm. we have chosen this, and we talked that we should go also MVP of the season because it's not always the same no. guy. It's usually not the same guy. And I remember last year we were talking if, um, I think I had this question for, for you guys, will we finally have an American, mm -hmm. uh, not finally, will we again have, because the last time an Anthony American Parker? guy, Anthony Parker in 2-6, Okay. Uh, so, you know, despite the Americans being the number one nation represented in the EuroLeague, yeah. uh, all the MVPs lately have been Bezenkov, Miritic, Mitic, Vesely, Doncic, Yui, Dekolo, Bielica, Chacho, Spanulis, Kirilenko, Diamantidis, Teodosic, Navarro, Shishkauskas, Popolukas. You know, can, Ameri can an American finally win it? And my answer would be no. Okay. It's not the year. And um, who do you got? I mean, since we give this award after the quarterfinals, so this has to be this yeah. ha this, this has to be a guy from one of the top four teams, and it's kind of hard to under understand which four mm -hmm. teams will be in the final four. But I think since Real Madrid has the best roster, has the kept the core, has uh, Facundo Campazzo back, 
and they will probably be the number one uh, team after the regular season, mm -hmm. uh, getting an, maybe an easier opponent in the quarterfinals. I see them being in the final four, and I have two options here. I have either Walter Tavares or the same Facundo Campazzo. Mm -hmm. And I think Tavares's defensive presence will be more important in the voting since he's always in the best defensive player category. So I have to go. My MVP pick for the next season is Walter Tavares. Yeah. I, I don't have a clear favorite, but I also had a short list of players mm -hmm. who are, who will be or who I predict to be in the race. And uh, because it's, it's interesting because it has to be a player that stands out. And some teams like, for instance, Olympiacos, they might make the final four. I just don't think that they're going to have the standout start uh, which uh, mm. will, will, will take this award. Like Sasha was last year. Yeah, and for Partizan, I would go with Ken Punter, but I'm not sure yet if they're going to make the final four. But Real Madrid with Eddie Tavares also had them on the short list. Uh, potentially, Nikola Mirotic uh, can have his case if Milan will advance to the final four. I'm a big Milan believer, so... Mm, they might make it. I will keep my opinion for ne next week's <laughs> podcast on this day. Uh, Monaco. Yeah, I was, sure. I was thinking about my, Mike. I was thinking about uh, Lorenzo, sure about Wade. Exactly. You know, I had I, also I like Lorenzo that. or Wade uh, on the short list. From FS, I think that they might make the final four as well. And you have at least two solid con candidates over there in Shane Larkin and Bill Clyburn. And who knows uh, how Darius Thompson I mean, uh, Darius, could, this Darius could average 15 and 6 easily. Exactly. So I don't have that clear uh, favorite yet, but there are only a few names, I would say. Mm. Uh, I, was, I was thinking, you know, maybe... Mike uh, or or Lorenzo Brown, Wade Baldwin could win this because both teams kept their course. Both teams, I thought, added pieces that were necessary after you know seeing their weak spots uh, for the last year. So maybe these two teams should be good in the regular season. But with the amount of teams contending for playoffs this year, it's really hard to see, apart from Real Madrid, who is going to be in the final four. Exactly. And since that influences the voting so mm -hmm. much, I'm going with a safe choice here. And just, yeah. just saying, you know, one of the Real players and probably Walter Tavares yeah, I is, agree. is winning this. Okay, let's make things more spicy. First head coach to be fired. Man, the backlash we got last year Oof. after this. But you cannot say that we were wrong. The guy who mentioned actually lost his job. But not the first one, I think. Not the first one, but I mean, come on. He was yeah. the third one. Who cares? I mean, we, we were, let's let's say our arguments were legit. So yeah. don't be mad because, and if you think that we're too too harsh, let's face facts. I mean, Virtus fired Sergio Scariolo, the FIBA goat, the, uh, yeah. coach, FIBA goat of uh, basketball coaching on September 15th. That was the quickest coaching firing ever in the EuroLeague. So should we do the second coach to be fired because <laughs> the first one is already fired? Yeah. I'm, 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 my thinking was right now was yeah. this one. Because uh, the two previous uh, very first coaching fired firings, uh, the quickest coaching firings were made by Olympiakos and Jalgiris. Olympiakos cut David Blatt on October 6th. And I think that it was also related to his health situation. So, I mean, it, it was not... 
I might be wrong with this, but I think that it, it had something to do with his health. No idea. But uh, what's for sure, Jalgiris firing Martin Schiller on October 7th didn't have anything to do with his health. So, Argiris Padulagis and Panathinaikos uh, comes, okay, now he's fourth on this list since Sergio Scariolo is on the top. Padulagis was uh, fired by Panathinaikos on October 14th. So, I mean, we're not too harsh with our picks. We're just facing the reality of the EuroLeague. And especially when some teams declare that they have very high goals, it also includes some um, hard decisions on on, on coaching uh, personnel. And also, you know, releasing the head coach, firing the head coach is always more um, attractive when you have something to choose from, uh, from people who doesn't have a job. So... Yo, the, the list is pretty attractive one. The list is nice. Andrea Trinkieris, Runas Isakiavichis, Yanis Faropoulos, and probably I already forgot somebody to mention. So. A lot of... Scariolo, yeah, Scariolo. Yeah, exactly. We have four elite coaches. So who is the first one that will pull the trigger? You know, we are not wishing no. for any coach to get no. fired. First things first. But, um, you know, I would say... These, there are a few coaches that are on the hot seats, and it's I crazy. Think the season hasn't even started, and we we're talking about the coaches who are on the but hot that, but, seat. But that's because you know some teams have made really ambitions, ambition, uh, ambitious goals for the season. They have spent, the owners have spent a lot of money, and you know how it goes in the Euroleague. Mm-hmm. Uh, the patience is not the nope. biggest value here nope. when when talking about head coaching firing. So. Um, I thought I think Roger Grimau is facing a, 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 a difficult situation in Barcelona. A new coach, Barcelona have big ambitions every year. Mm. Uh, it could be. I'm really interested to see how it goes. I, uh, players are super happy because now they have a lot of freedom. But uh, we can, uh, we as Lithuanians, remember how Zalgiris players were happy with all the freedom after Jasikavicius, and then. It kind of went wrong. But actually, the first season quickly. was okay. I mean, they were the first season was okay. 50% right. uh, team, so it wasn't that bad right. at all. So, But I thought their maybe, okay, whatever, their structure was Yeah, better. I know, I know. Uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe Dimitri Situdis with a lot of players. Just before you continue, my short take about Barca, I think that they might be a little bit more patient with Grimau because I think that the following summer, Xavi Pascal will become a free agent. So instead of going after some other big name, because if you're sacking Roger Grimau, unless you're going to hire Svetislav Pesic or Dusan Ivkovic or whatever to finish the season, if you will do a big hiring, uh, it rules out your... uh, opportunities the following okay. summer. And I think that they might target Xavi Pascal. So whatever happens, That's of course, uh, uh, unless they're going to fail badly, I think that they might be a little bit more patient even if things go wrong with Grimau. You know, I, I think there is there are more coaches that could be on the hot seat, even the big names like Ettore Messina, Dimitri Situdis, uh, Dusko Ivanovic, all these three mm-hmm. legendary coaches have ambition, really ambition te- uh, ambitious teams, ambitious players. They have... All of these three guys have, have depth in their roster. The teams, the owners want results. Uh, if things go wrong early in the season, they might want to try to make a switch. But I don't think, I think the guy that I'm choosing here is is Valencia and Alex, Alex, Alex Mumbrou. Uh, 
the roster doesn't convince me too much. I think he was, it was mentioned multiple times. He was on the hot seat last year. Um, I'm not sure how the separation with Dubljevich, if it helps him, uh, you know, he wanted to play a bit differently, I think. And uh, despite that, their their preseason wasn't the greatest of ones. I know the preseason usually the results doesn't matter, but they lost a lot of quite a few games there. They lost the first round of ACB. Now they have Tenerife and Unicaja away this week, two away games. That's that's never easy. You know, one is very far, and Malaga is always good at home. And in the Euroleague, their start is just 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 listen to this. They have home versus Monaco opening game. They have home versus Fenerbahce. These are not two easy teams to win, even at home. And then they have a three-game away uh, road trip. They have Maccabi away. They lost, what? Nobody wins in Tel Aviv. Two times there last season. I mean, everybody lost in the they have, last year. They have Anadolu Efes away after Maccabi, and they have Jalgiris away. And this is their five-game five, five games to start. So it's not like I'm saying he's a bad coach. I'm just saying that the yeah. logic kind of dic- dictates me that he's they are facing a really uh, I, hot I, stretch here I really believe that Alex Mumbro hates the guy who made this calendar for the coming season because it's, it, it's, it's not helping him or the team. Yeah, definitely. It's more of like not helping him. It's sometimes we don't even realize how important for every head coach is the calendar that to you get, have to get the first win. Is, is because crucial. it's not just about these five games. Uh, I also know for some reason I know Valencia's calendar. They have this short break of big games with Alba at home, following this first five game schedule, and after Alba home game they have Milan away, Real Madrid home, Barca away. Away. So that's their 10-game schedule until December. And sorry, Valencia fans, but I mean, you can't call me crazy if I say that you might go 1-9 uh, in the beginning of the EuroLeague season because the, the opposition they face is, is crazy. They have only four home games. Uh, they are facing three Final Four teams, six playoff teams of last year, and three of these four non-playoff teams are basically title contenders. So they haven't made it to the semifinal in the ACB last year. As you mentioned, they kind of unexpectedly lost the first home game uh, against uh, Girona. Against Girona. Uh, so they're already under some kind of pressure. And I also predict that, let's say, Alex Mumbro is the favorite to, to lose his job second now this year like season. that's crazy that scariola already have lost his job september 15 man how can without you explain it playing, to nba people right without even he playing was he was games. really close to getting nba job and now he now he's without the job he's been fired in september 15th wow crazy that's and and he was in the world cup with spain until the september 10th how much time he spent in italy actually before getting fired he did like that press conference. Week, probably <laughs> he did that, that introduction press conference. And yeah. Wow. That's one crazy story. That's These one Italian people, crazy story. they're emotional, you know? You know uh, better Italian than Italian owners. Yeah. Not Italian just owners. owners. Not just owners. They are emotional, but the owners, you know, that, that was his decision. So. Yeah. The next uh, topic is yeah. that 
makes you feel better. We're not talking about probable disappointments. I think we're talking about guys who we're looking forward to watch, right? Before we continue, do you have anything to add about the EuroLeague rookie coaches or coaches who switched teams and started their new projects? Since we don't want to be only negative about the coaching mm -hmm. department, maybe we have some nice predictions for them, nice projections, some um, nice words. I have nice words. Not to get any letter from the yearly coaching uh, association, you know. I have nice words for Anadolu Efes. I love their head coaching signing. I think Adam John is going to do an amazing job uh, in Efes. Um, I saw, like I said, I saw some of their preseason games. He has really interesting ideas. He has his team playing hard in defense. You could see a lot of differences, you know, from. Ataman time there and now he's the he's the main general there and there's some interesting differences so he has interesting pieces to work with new players some Tyreek Jones you know is a really interesting newcomer to watch so you know I just I just love what I saw in the preseason I think they're definitely going to exceed some expectations you know I'm I'm everybody everybody's kind of doing their power rankings at this time of the year I'm hearing a lot uh, of, of people uh, downplaying Anadolu FS chances. You mean in Lithuania, right? No, I, I saw even some, you know, mm, okay. not only Lithuanian, Lithuanians do their power ranking. So I think uh, they're going to... FS with Erdemjan is going to surprise some people this year. I hope so. I heard he implemented some really interesting things already, like bringing a nutritionist uh, to the team, uh, bringing mentor to young players. Uh, he, For me, he seems like an innovative uh, coach with his ideas from the NBA, also from his time with Jelko Bradovic in Fenerbahce. I, I, once when I was in the in Las Vegas Summer League in the NBA, uh, I spent a day in a coaching clinic and Ardem Jan was also giving his, you know, uh, lecture, lecture uh, uh, during that day and he really made me a nice, very nice uh, impression. The thing is that I didn't speak with too many Turkish people, but from what I heard, you know, Ardem Jan might be a little bit too innovative and too fresh for Turkish basketball community. And he already has some enemies in Turkey and we all saw, I've, I believe that many people saw this timeout and Ergin Ataman thing. Uh, it's not Ergin Ataman no more uh, or something like that when he criticized his uh, player uh, for some defensive place or whatever, I don't remember. And you know, I mean, Ergin Ataman in Turkey is very respected coach. Uh, and he deserved that with the results he achieved with Anadolu FS and this great uh, stretch in, in FS. So, you know, you're kind of going against the wave and you might be, you might get unpopular uh, going against that wave. And in some situations, and if things uh, will start to go wrong, you know, you might get some additional pressure uh, because of that. So uh, I hope, I hope everything will be fine. I hope that if there even will be some tough situations, his status will be decided by his quality, by some, you know, arguments, some logical reasons, mm -hmm. rational reasons, not something else. But that, that's the feedback I've got from, from some Turkish people, you know, regarding Erdemjan. Because for us, from the outside, things may look way different than for locals, locals because we are not that into mm. uh, this business uh, over there. And there's always something, you know, 
there are some local things that we don't understand. But yeah, I hope everything will be fine because I also believe in Erdem Jan a lot. I wish his new things will, you know, grow on Turkish people. I think it's always nice to see progress. Yeah. Uh, since he will be one of the most interesting newcomers to watch in the EuroLeague uh, on the sidelines, who do you have from the most interesting newcomers to watch on the court? I actually honestly did not expect so many guys to choose here. From. Mm -hmm. mm, I, too many guys. For after, me, there were too many guys. After the season, I did not think you know that so many guys will make the jump from the Euro Cup or that so many guys from the NBA, we'll try EuroLeague basketball. And, and this list is just crazy. You know, Jabari, Kemba, Kyle Guy, Walchirovsky, Sylvain Francisco, Ibaka, Sterling Brown, Vili, Yago, Devontae Kaycock, Kamagate, Frank Jackson, Mike Scott, Cleveland, Nate Sestina, Brady Manick, Juancho, Tariq Jones. Who are you taking? Um, and my most interesting newcomer, um, I was picking between uh, Kyle Guy and Tariq Jones. Okay. And... Uh, they these are two very these two guys are really different players and uh i'm gonna go with tyreek jones i'm really intrigued to what this guy can do with fs and most interesting newcomer interesting to watch is also for me fun to watch and tyreek jones is extremely fun to watch i mean the guy flies on the court his dunks will be all over the top 10 i think on many nights on many rounds uh, his blocks as well. Uh, I think he gives this his uh, his and Darius Thompson connection and his pick and rolls. Their pick and rolls should be a really thing to watch to follow in the Euroleague. So I'm going to go with Tariq Jones also. I, I'm going with Anadolu FS guys here lately. Yeah. Who did you choose from this list of like 20... 20 players. I checked Tyreek Jones' stats. Uh, I only have stats from four preseason games. You know, it, it's not all that all the preseason games that you're seeing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the... it's not like preseason really matters. I'm just checking, you know, how he's doing at the beginning mm. uh, because he's, it's not like he's getting, you know, a big role, uh, a key role in this team with a lot of talent already. So stat, it shows that uh, 9.8 points per game. Uh, five rebounds, 1.3 assists, one steal, zero blocks so far, but yeah, just a matter of time. Yeah, anyway, very interesting pick. Uh, kind of obvious pick because we already loved the potential that he will bring to the EuroLeague uh, this offseason, signing with uh, FS. He was one of the most wanted bigs, especially newcomer bigs uh, in the EuroLeague markets, and he, he chose wise, uh, wisely uh, FS team. I could have went with, you know, with Jabari and Kemba. Yeah, it's yeah. obviously in super interesting how the former NBA yeah. stars will do in the EuroLeague, but Kemba is, hasn't played for Monaco so far in the, in the preseason. And we already spoke about them so much yeah. that the whole excitement is kind of you know gone because we were super excited about them two months uh, ago yeah now it's different and I actually got intrigued by one of the most recent signings and to me this Ignis signing Brzeikis? no <laughs> i saw too much of brazekis so i'm tired of of Iggy really so i'm not that excited and he's not a newcomer uh but this signing he's actually Theoretically, practically, he's also not a newcomer. He played six games in the year league like 12 years ago during the lockout. But for me, Serge Ibaka to Bayern Munich was 
a move out of nowhere. Mm. I really thought that they're just going to keep Augustin Rubut or Otello Hunter and that's it. They're all set for the season. And now you see this, okay, he's now a former NBA player. He's 34. Uh, but it it doesn't feel like he returned to Europe just to finish his career, just to retire here. First of all, he didn't take the biggest salary in Europe. He could he could have gone for a way bigger money if he just wanted to get some money to end his career. But no, he chose Bayern Munich with very limited financial uh, capabilities. He chose this team, uh, which is not playing, let's say, for the title. And he chose this team to have a big role and to have big opportunities to help this team to maybe you know, increase his worth, increase his value for the following years. Maybe he has some hopes to get back to the NBA, which still might be the case despite his age. Uh, NBA know, teams know what to expect from him. His tool, um, skill set helps, you know, to for him to hope for the NBA spot. But if he does well in Bayern Munich, he might get a legit chance at joining some big EuroLeague team because 34 in Europe and EuroLeague, it's, it's nothing. You can still get a three-year, 10 million euro contract, you know? So what impressed me about Serge Ibaka was his motivation. And I heard some first feedback uh, from his time in Munich. Of course, he still needs time to get back in shape. The Europe uh, yearly calendar is way different than the NBA. And the NBA is still one month away from the start of the season. So the body was adjusted to some kind of different uh, schedule. So, of course, Serge Ibaka is still not flying over uh, the rims already, mm. although I heard he already made some impressive blocks on some big guys in, in Munich. But I heard that he's so, I mean, it's been a while since the last time we saw him, you know, in person, live. And it, there was this lockout year, there were some FIBA competitions. I remember I saw him maybe in Eurobasket 2011 and when he was mm. there in Konas. But he's so big, actually. He, he <laughs> I mean, he used so much space on the court. He's so lengthy. And uh, first of all, we're getting, there were a lot of NBA names coming to Europe, but you can, you know, argue what kind of impact they're going to make at the elite level. We are talking about the guy who might make this defensive uh, player of the year conversation way more interesting. Because now it was, before walk it was just Tavares. Eddie Tavares. Now at least we had the conversation. Is it Walkup or Tavares? Now I really think that Ibaka might join this uh, group. He might really help this uh, Bayern team. Uh, his his overall presence on the court not not just going to help them defensively, but he can stretch the floor to some extent. And I was told that, you know, the way he used the space on the court, the way how much space he takes on the floor really helps uh, point guards like Bolmaro, like Francisco, mm -hmm. you know, to drive to the basket, to, to get some better opportunities uh, to score. So to me, to see a team like Bayern Munich, uh, not the top tier team, not a team that can afford uh, almost anybody, uh, to see them signing Serge Bacha was very nice surprise because it will make them even more competitive. Although I don't see them very high in my power rankings, but they're going to be uh, very competitive. Mm. And I hope that they're going to bounce back after the last season. That's a solid choice. That's a solid choice. Let's yeah. go to best offseason. Yeah. By the team. Which um, team had the best offseason? I would say this is an easy pick. Like you can't go with, Real Madrid just signing Campazzo, even though that makes mm. perfect sense. I think what Panathinaikos did 
this off season is is the best work. Uh, they first of all they completely rebuilded the team. They are relevant again. Uh, signing Lucas, although it was a dramatic move, not a lot of people liked it because of his age, because of the contract length, because of the money that they give him. Uh, I think it showed to other players in Europe uh, and not even in Europe, but also some NBA guys that they are serious about contending again. And his signing allowed to them to have this team that they have right now. And they are on paper with the talent level they have. They're one of the contenders, you know, for the final four, absolutely. Yeah. And even and even maybe even more, you know, because uh, I thought they're going to get the starting forward, small forward, uh, from the NBA, we we know that they were after some NBA guys. It didn't work out. Now Marius Grigonis is starting at the third position, and he's doing quite well in the in the preseason. So you know, just to have this variety of options in their team after an awful season last year, when they basically did not have any guys there, their their offense was just you know awful their team structure was didn't make any sense their in-season signings you know they they didn't even finish the season they arrived late and they didn't even finish the season and now you have deft you have young greek guys who are exciting i'm talking you know about manzukas kalizakis you have guys that have proven on euroleague level you have some guys coming from the Euro Cup. Balcharovsky, he is a super interesting center. So, and he's also, you know, he can stretch the floor at the five position. So, Ergen Ataman and Panathinaikos have constructed a team that's on paper, cover a lot of different check boxes. They have offensive versatility. They have Kyle Guy as a shooter. Uh, they have Dinos Mitoglu, another forward who can stretch the floor. They have a rim protection. They have Costas Lucas, they have Jerian Grant, who seems like a really great glue guy in the preseason. So this uh, rebuild they made, I think, makes a lot of sense. And it's only up to them now to, you know, build on this and to improve as a team and to prove everyone that, you know, you can actually rebuild a team in Europe in one summer. It's not like in the NBA where you have yeah. to wait uh, three, four years to be a contender again. Here in Europe, you can just... Uh, throw money around and and just change eleven players and you are contender again. So it's not like I'm a really big fan of this concept, yeah. but I have to admit that they had the best off season. Also, I try to be a little bit more creative of this one. I try. I mean, I give credit to Real Madrid for the reasons I mentioned for Facundo Campasso signing and keeping the core. Maccabi actually started their best uh, off season even before the off season, signing Lorenzo Brown to an extension mm. with Bolvin to an extension in spring already. They kept the core. They improved a couple of positions, and knowing that they were so close to make to the final four, I mean, they did a really good job. FS their transition uh, after this amazing era after these you know big losses of Vasily Misic uh, of coach Ataman I think that to me the, their transition was as smooth as possible bringing Darius Thompson instead of Vasily Misic kind of changing this landscape the concept of the team but at the same time not uh, losing talent or potential that much as you can expect if you're on a 
budget reduction. I also love that they find Erdem Can as a replacement for Ataman, local coach, Turkish coach, also very promising coach. But, you know, I tried to find other answers, but I cannot ignore what Panthinaikos did, really. You also already mentioned a lot of reasons uh, to add got rights to control OAKA, that helps to to grow mm. the organization. That's also super important. From what I heard, I think it was also reported in Greek media that they have a new big sponsor uh, next to Dimitris uh, Genokopoulos. Uh, they brought back hope that Panaikos can go all the way. Actually, they made noise with Ergin Ataman, you know, signing him and also making all those statements uh, during the off season. They didn't have the perfect off season though. Uh, if Ken Punter joined the team. Uh, if, let's say, players like Papayanis stayed in the club, that would have been the perfect offseason. But still, it was the best offseason because I think that, um, just to add to all the arguments we mentioned, they not only brought some stars, but they damaged other title contenders. You're damaged Olympiakos a lot. You can see now how long, how much it took for them to change him. And it's hard to say if they found a good replacement for Costas Lucas. Matias Lazor, part- partisan, to this day, didn't sign a center, a replacement uh, to Matias Lazor. That's so an excellent point, actually. There were a lot of good signings uh, this offseason, and Campazzo signing, for instance, but they didn't uh, affect other big teams as much as Panaikos managed to affect those teams. You can imagine, I mean, okay, they already damaged Partizan, so even even if they signed Punter, it, it, it wouldn't include other teams, but it's it's huge. And it, especially mm. in this in this EuroLeague market, it's 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 really huge. I was maybe thinking, you know, Monaco or Maccabi, because I like their little moves that you know they adjusted their pain points, they tried to increase uh, progress there in those in those pain points, but I mean, three or four little signings to improve your core is a little bit less, even though that's mm-hmm. great work for those teams, that's a little bit less than to be, you know, one of the worst teams in the EuroLeague. And now all of a sudden you are one of the contenders for the final four or, or for the title, if, if all things go well. So it, was just, it wasn't just possible to nominate something yeah. else here. It, actually, if they signed Mirotic, if Monaco signed Mirotic instead of, let's say Kemba Walker, probably I would say that they had the best offseason. Mm. But they didn't. But they didn't, yeah. Uh, the player poised for a breakout year. The Sasha Vizenko award, or no? Yeah. It doesn't really yeah. matter on what scale, actually. Like, we are just looking at some guys that will improve significantly. Their, their stats, their playing time. Uh, this is one of probably my favorite categories. Think, thinking about this, just trying to go. And I will start this uh, category with a question to you, Donatos. Okay. Uh, does Alexa Vramovich count as a breakout player? Because he kind of broke out during <laughs> the World Cup. So I'm not sure because he's like an easy pick here, but um, he counts. I don't I mean, think. The, I'm not. I'm not. See, but national not, team basketball is so different. I know. I know. Sometimes they might fool you, you know, badly. Sometimes you might have, you know, uh, different opinion on players. Look, it's it's different game, really. I, so I I agree, but just out of to make this question more interesting, because I think he would be an obvious pick for a lot of people. Um, 
I had as an options here, I had Karsten Edwards, Petr Cornelier, with that I, him already mentioned before in this podcast, Luis Alinde, Alexa, and Alan Smilagic. Okay. And since Alexa, to me, does not count as a breakout player because he already showed to the world in the last part of, in the second part mm-hmm. of last season, now he added this excellent performance in the World Cup. So everybody already knows what he can do. And I think he's going to grab, have a great season coming coming uh, into the new year with a lot of confidence. Uh, I'm going to go actually with Alan Smilagic. Okay. Mm, he has the ability, he has the skill, he has the shot, he has the athletic ability to play good minutes. There's just one thing that is limiting him, fouls. So please, Alan, just stay out of foul trouble so my pick goes correct. But uh, I loved what I saw from him in the preseason. It This choice also goes with an extra, uh, asterisk in the end. If Partizan does not sign another center, which I kind of think they should do yeah. to improve their chances. But if they don't, I think Alan playing a huge role and I think uh, doing some great things because he can stretch the floor, he's he can beat the closeout on the on the pick and pop with the dribble. He's super athletic. He you know can defend the switch on the perimeter to some extent and I think he's poised to have at least a great first half of the season. So I was between Peter Cornelier for the things I mentioned before about him, that he fits all the needs Monaco uh, wanted to have in the front court. And uh, now he's he will have a bigger role, but I will still go with Smilagic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see you have a, you had a different approach on this question because I took a player who already had some solid seasons, but it's not like he was considered as a big time player, mm. star or, or, you know, uh, decisive player for for any Euroleague team, but I think that this might be his year, and he is already showing a huge progress since the domestic league semifinals. I go with Elijah Bryant, who had a terrific mm. preseason, who also had a terrific terrific uh, Turkish league playoff experience uh, last season, starting from scoring nineteen point three points per game in the semifinal series against Fenerbahce, including. 21 and 25 point performances in the last two games of the series. He was also great in the final series uh, against Karciaka. And even during this preseason, he was averaging almost 14 points per game on a 49% field goal shooting, 4.3 assists, which translated into 9.3 points of assists per game. So he was generating almost like 23 points per game for FS. Uh, those great performances included 15-point game against Partizan, four assists, 17 points uh, against Seska. I believe he will thrive under Erdemjan. Uh, he's that player who can thrive both uh, getting a lot of freedom, like he did to some extent in FS under Ataman, but he also can be a great player in a system and especially surrounded by big talents that he has now in FS. And if Erdemjan, you saw FS playing more, this offseason, if they're going to play Will Clyburn more as a four, then Elijah Bryant will have more opportunities uh, to get uh, more minutes. But even if they will try to stick with Clyburn more as a small forward, I think that Elijah Bryant will be an amazing uh, off-the-bench uh, mm. player. So great personality, great guy. Uh, he, I think he's doing vlogs and also he's... 
He's uh, commenting on his own uh, plays on Twitter or on TikTok. I'm not and sure. Also, I think he's sending newsletters with some, uh, let's say, views on the most important events of the, let's say, European basketball and some other things. I mean, he's a really interesting guy. He's doing a lot of interesting stuff. That's yeah. for sure. And he's back-to-back -back NBA and EuroLeague champion. So a lot of interesting things about yeah. this guy. But he didn't have, you know, that year to be considered mm. as a star player in the EuroLeague. And I mm. believe that he has tools and stage right now uh, to become that guy. Mm. Yeah, I see we took a lot of uh, different approaches yeah. on this question. But it's it's nice. It's it's nice to have different and it's opinions. Not, it's not like about just getting that one top, top guy in all those you know categories. It's more about you know trying to be also creative and to with the preview answers. the season with more mm. uh, opportunities, with more players, with wider selection of, of guys. And the last one. Yeah, the last one. The next best idea to make EuroLeague better. We kind of, a lot of agree that play-in tournament was a necessarily, necessary uh, adjustment to the EuroLeague, uh, given that we had 18 teams and only eight to make the playoffs. There are more ideas on the table, but what do you think What be, would be the next, I wouldn't call it a major tweak, but a thing that could improve the whole EuroLeague experience to everybody. It can be basically any, anything. Can EuroLeague actually make huge tweaks at the moment? Are they in a, in a position to, to, to change something dramatically? I mean, to change the number of teams, to expand to Dubai, mm. London next year or whatever. I mean, these are major things. Okay. But realistically, we're probably talking about some minor things. I feel like you have a be be better answer here. Uh, I didn't so, spend much time on this, so. Uh, I would, I just, this is my wish, personal. Just playoff games not crossing each other. Um, we have only four series of quarterfinals. That's, you don't have semifinal series, you don't have final series. Playoffs are the most interesting part to me of this season. And to have games crossing each other so you can't really watch all the, it's only four games, so. I would imagine it would do a lot of good for the EuroLeague when everyone can watch all games for two two and a half weeks in a row. I know the TV owners decide a lot of a lot on this, and probably EuroLeague can't decide on this or can't act quickly. And but I would just really hope that we could watch all the fans who could watch the EuroLeague playoff games, all of them. It's it's only two games per per evening, so. I feel bad that I have the same idea, but at the same time, <laughs> it shows that that's something that Euroleague really, really needs to do. And I actually had, I mean, during the World Cup, yes, when we had a group stage, you know, the games were clashing. And, you know, it was, especially if, when I worked in Manila, it was hard to, you know, follow up the action from other gyms. Yeah, but you had like eight games per day. Uh, four, no, two games. I, I mean, in general, yeah two games in one gym but what i what i mean from the quarterfinals we could oh, watch all yeah. games and it was just this amazing feeling to focus only on one game to see the twitter tweet focused on one game with a lot of social media interactions social media you know memes uh, mm. a lot of content that was on basketnews.com twitter channel or on fiba channels uh the whole the whole, whole world was watching just one game and it was amazing because 
last year, I'm, I remember when I was uh, covering Maccabi Monaco series, you know, it was already, you know, dramatic, let's say series of events happened in Monaco. And, you know, of course I was working there. I was watching this whole game. And then we had this fight in, in, in Madrid, you know, that overshadowed things that were happening and both games almost clashed each other. And it was, it was just a draining experience. For me, somebody as a EuroLeague fan, first of all, and then, of course, as a EuroLeague reporter, you know, to, to cover those things or to sacrifice some stories because some bigger things just happen at the same time. And it's just bad. And I remember that I had this conversation with EuroLeague people. And the main idea was that even the playoffs, they cannot avoid this thing of games crossing each other because uh, the priority is the local TV. And... Yeah, you have to respect the TV rights and those TV companies that bought yearly TV rights. But that's where Paulus Matiunas and the new front office have to make this new big adjustment from the new uh, TV deal that yearly should be the uh, the one to decide how we're going to try to handle the schedule of games, not the TVs. Because, of course, local TVs and, and friends and television, they're going to look for their uh, things. But, and the, the main argument was this, if we make this game in this or this region earlier, there's a risk that uh, this home team will have a lower attendance in the gym. And uh, especially it hurts a lot the local TV uh, viewership, you know, and the number drops dramatically. But I can get it during the regular season. But I didn't feel that they had comparisons. I mean, because the playoffs, is the time when the whole Europe is watching. Uh, you shouldn't focus on the local market. You should think about the bigger picture and you should think of ways to, you know, increase the attention in those other markets, which I believe that combine would make the audience and TV numbers mm. way higher than just focusing on the lo local viewership. So that's, I think that that's how things should be run starting from the playoffs. Okay, regular season, whatever, we can accept it. Uh, let, let's keep it this way if it's better for local TV right holders and especially teams because they are getting money. But from the playoffs, you must find solutions to get this uh, normal TV experience of watching the entire game. In the regular season, you have like what, four, uh, four or five games each night. It's it's not possible to, to yeah. make, to watch all of them. You know, usually you have at least two games that you can watch and uh, that's fine. But from the playoffs, when you have only two games per night, it would be really nice if you could enjoy both of them. You know, if you are a real basketball fan in Europe, uh, that's probably the number one fix that they have to do when the new deal kicks in. Yeah. And it's not something, you know, huge, something impossible. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully. Um, that's it. Yeah. Next week we'll have power rankings, hopefully with Ritis back. Next. And we will have a lot of fights. I can guarantee you that. If not between each other with fans yeah. in the comment section, that's for sure. Uh, I think our opinions will be different. More different than they were today. I hope. I hope so. I hope so. And also, the next week we're planning to do a... Is, it might be whoever the Q&A podcast for the BN Plus members, uh, the additional podcast that is available only for BN Plus members that you can become mm. on basketnews.com. Uh, slash uh, plus we have a very nice uh, community that can get 
extra access on our feature stories, video breakdowns of also additional podcast episodes, WhatsApp group that we have, amazing WhatsApp group with a lot of uh, great basketball minds over there. We also have plans to do the EuroLeague Fantasy draft to promote our draft uh, fantasy. and Plat- New platform? Yeah, new, new fantasy platform. Uh, for the next season. So a lot of content is coming up the next week and then the following weeks. EuroLeague season is starting. I'm happy that we had this short gap between the World Cup and EuroLeague to get some time off to, to refresh. And I'm super excited for the next season, really. It will be great. Thank you guys for watching. <laughs>